Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of The Call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, good afternoon. A very warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call. You know the drill. It is 10 stocks picked by you. I've got two experts with me in studio, one hour to discuss them all, plus a stock of the day. And we've got a great list of companies to discuss. I'm Nadine Blaney, just sitting in for David Kosh. Here with me in studio is Nathan Somersandram from Deep Data Analytics. Hello, Nathan. Good to see you as always. Nice to be here. Staying warm in Sydney today and dry? Yeah, it was getting a bit messy this morning, but <laughs> yeah. it seems to have stabilized. Today. Good. And Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Michael, welcome. Good to be here. Looking to get out of Sydney this afternoon. And obviously, we're all keeping a very close eye on the COVID front here in Sydney. Who would have thought just when you think we're living in utopia, it springs out of nowhere. Yeah, well, I think that's the new reality, (laughs) isn't it? it. COVID's not going anywhere anytime soon. So masks back on public transit. And we're all being warned to just take it a bit easy. More of those elbow bumps, a little less (laughs) shaking of the hands. Uh, So that is the scene here in Sydney today on this Thursday. This day is also, I suppose, the final day of what we can call bank reporting season. Of course, not Commonwealth Bank, but this week we've heard from Westpac, we've heard from ANZ, and today the National Australia Bank. Now, Kashi has nominated banks as the stock of the day through the week that reported, and I thought I should not break with tradition. So the stock of the day is NAB. It said today that business momentum is on the improved interim cash earnings, stripping out large and non-car items, jumped 95% to $3.34 billion. So that allowed NAB to double its interim payout to 60 cents per share. Credit impairment turnaround for the ages, uh, featuring a write back of $128 million. That's compared to the $1.2 billion hit from a year ago. So that's another highlight. NAB says about the results. Uh, Just as a note, uh, we will be speaking with NAB CEO and MD Ross McEwen later today. We will bring you that interview from 3 p.m. Eastern right here on Ausbiz. Now, uh, let's get the thoughts on NAB, stock of the day. Uh, Nathan, maybe I'll start with you. Uh, The CEO called it a clean set of results. Analysts as well, I don't know who's echoing who, but regardless, it was pretty clean and a reflection of the economic recovery that has taken place so far, keeping in mind those COVID lockdowns that clearly are still a threat. But it's always the question, where to from here? Where to for now? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, Banks around uh, September, October were actually cheap. 
because industrial was so expensive, you could have bought any bank and it was actually historical cheap on a relative basis. Now they are back to historical uh, expensive. So the banks are not cheap anymore. Um, NAV was a relatively clean result. Uh, there's no real surprises. Uh, the profits are just uh, it's a made up number. So because they have a massive debt provision, so depending on how much they want to put through, they get a profit. So yeah. they basically decide how much dividend they want to pay and then they fudge the profit. Work to backwards get from there. Exactly. But so on the provisioning, I know leading into this, there were questions about just how much they would be willing to write back this time around. Am I being cynical and thinking, yes, they need to be cognizant of the uncertainties that are still out there in the environment. But is it cynical to think as well, Michael, that perhaps you know, they'll be able to make their future earnings look a little bit better if they slowly roll out this, write back the provisions. I think that's what we're seeing. And I think many people are expecting these headline numbers to be very good. That's why the share price has been rallying into these results. But I think if you look at some of the key numbers, revenue growth, uh, you look at net interest margins, they're all still very much under pressure. Um, you can look at things like the amount they've got to spend on technology coming up. They're also big costs that the big three other than CBA have to incur, including CBA as well. So it's not all clean sailing for the banks um, because they're still facing the same pressures they were prior to COVID lockdowns. They've recovered nicely and, and that's great, but going forward from here, you know, return on equities are still very much under pressure. Uh, net interest margins are gonna do it tough in an environment where you know, the difference between your lending rates and your deposit rates are getting narrower and narrower. So. It's been an admirable bounce back, but what are we buying the banks here? Not at all. Um, NAB's probably our least favourite, and it's proven to be the, the distant fourth amongst the big four for a number of years now. Um, but you also got to understand the different compositions of the loan books of every bank. NAB has much more of a business focus than some of the others. Westpac, CBA tend to be more New South Wales mortgages. ANZ have a lot more institutional lending. So you can expect, yes, NAB will get that kicker from businesses leading the recovery, but some of those other problems haven't gone away. Is that a little unfair, Nathan, to say NAB is uh, his least favorite when you oh, do yeah. take into consideration the business exposure? No, it's 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 the bad boy. Um, I mean, if you look <laughs> at it over 20 years, it's done nothing. Uh, yeah. The share prices pretty much goes up and down and gone nowhere. You collect a dividend. Um, I mean, look, when we were looking at it uh, late last year, um, we always look for, if the sector is really cheap, you look for the worst guys, uh, the bad boys. The bad boys were ANZ and NAB, and they've probably done the best recovery cycle obvious reason. Um, look, the government is running a um, basically an endless credit card, uh, just a debt-driven um, recovery cycle. So in that context, they transferred the debt risk from the public to the government. So zero risk, banks kill it, debt, bad debt provisions get cut, profits get upgraded. That's fine. If you look at where we were as an economy pre-COVID, it wasn't a great position. So we're back there. The banks are still there. They've divested all their real growth stories. They're all pretty much a property play now. And you've got property prices at all time high with very low lending standards. So, and global rates are going up. Uh, like it or not, reflation rates are going up. Banks get 30 to 40% of their funding from global markets. So they're going to be under pressure. My guess, second half, of, I mean, already the fixed rates are going up. So I'd say in the next three to six months, banks will raise variable rates out of cycle. Uh, Reserve Bank will just sit there, but that's irrelevant. Um, so banks will raise rates, probably will start to uh, flatten out and start to come back. This is going to play out for a number of years because we are in that bottom of the cycle and interest rates will go up. Banks' biggest problem is they used to get a lot of easy profits out of credit cards, out of FX trading mm -hmm. and um, wealth management. All of those are gone. Fintechs have taken all of those away. So 
it's going to be a much tougher business. CBA is actually trading at two and a half, three standard deviation premium to their long-term average. So it's a sector that's being challenged. That is the best in the sector, but it's priced like it's a beauty, right? So yeah, you, you'd want to be careful in this sector, but there's always a but. The biggest trader in the banks are global investors. It's not the local guys. And the global guys buy it for the currency. So if Aussie dollar is going up, banks go up. Forget valuations, forget what they do. If Aussie dollar is going up, so will the bank. So they've recovered on that. So now the question is, if you think in the shorter term, I think Aussie dollar will pull back, banks will come back with it. So I wouldn't be buying the banks. Um, That's pretty, yeah. you know, it's pretty clear. Not buying the banks, not buying the banks, not tempted by the dividend yields. Even if they're increased, I mean, if they're cashed up, they're, kids see- They've reinstated dividends, but they're not back to where they were. And yeah. those payout ratios that we saw pre-COVID, we're never gonna see them again. It sort of gave them a good excuse as to cut those payout ratios. So. Yes, dividends have bounced back, but they're not on the same dividend yields as they were before, and they're gonna grind their way at best higher from here when it comes to dividends. I don't think we've got a, a buy. I don't think any of those <laughs> banks are going in the Osmus portfolio from the results that came through this week, even though those headline numbers were pretty good. We used to say shoot the lights out. I haven't heard that term, have <laughs> I? Not, no, not for a while, banks, all right. No more shooting the lights out for the big banks in these. Uh, in their view. All right, let's get on to the list of companies that have been nominated by you, our viewers. Rob, I hope you're watching or listening, however you choose to consume this program. Silver Lake Resources is the question. SLR. So we've seen gold rallying to start the month, though pretty vulnerable, you've got to say, gold looks technically. Uh, unless you're of the view that it's a hedge against inflation and inflation is rising, Nathan. That's exactly where we've been since the middle of last year. Uh, I, I haven't changed. Um, I know people try and pick targets for gold. I'm not in that uh, strategy. Or we just look at it as it's a trade against inflation. Um, inflation, and you always know inflation is rising when every central bank tells you the same story that it's not going to rise <laughs> and it's all transient. Um, every cycle in history tells you the central banks always tell you one thing and it ends up being the other way. So I'm more than comfortable with it. Yel Janet Yellen came out a couple of days ago and flagged that rates will have to eventually step up because the economy overheats and then she obvious backtrack obvious because needs she to did keep it. things calm exactly she did it she went out she probably got a lot of calls going Whoops. don't scare the market and so she backtracked but this is what she said i mean i love janet yellen because she's very data-based so what she said was completely logical it is going to happen the bond market knows it so the rates are going to go up um, whether they like it or not so inflation, you've got the US inflation, that's all that matters. You're gonna get the next update next week. Uh, my guess is you're gonna inflation number between three to 4%, the following month will be more than 4%. So inflation's going up. And so in that context, gold looks good. I'm comfortable with it. Aussie gold miners are the best place to be because the risk for you is if US dollar bounces um, and then gold comes back. But in that protection is the Aussie dollar will then fall so the margins for these guys are protected. Yep. Silver Lake is one of the best in the Aussie miners. I like a number of them. And what Silver makes Lake Silver Lake good though? Because I, I was expecting you to say Northern Star. Oh, look, that's the best, yeah. right? That You're talking about two top quality businesses merged, Northern Star and Saracen. Saracen, yeah. So, but know, what is it about Silver Lake that you're comfortable investing in? Their execution. The recent execution has been, the, interestingly, and, and Graham and I used to have this argument for years, and maybe nearly a decade, about gold miners. <laughs> He's not here to defend <laughs> yeah, know, himself, himself, Michael. But <laughs> on, on the positive note is we both agree that in the last, uh, say, two, three years, yeah. 
the execution by Aussie gold miners have been very, very good. Yeah. And Silver Lake is a classic example of that. And Silver Lake has put in a pretty good cost performance as well. Do you know yeah. the company intricately? I know it fairly well. Yeah. We've been buying some gold producers over the last month and we tend to sort of use gold producers as a bit of a, a trading place to be because what we've seen is the gold price has maybe had a range about 10% to the downside, yet we've seen many of these good quality Australian gold producers pull back 30 40% in some cases. So we think there is some value starting to emerge in that space. Northern Star Evolution are the ones that everyone talks about all the time and they're very, very good, but on a, they trade on a far bigger multiple than Silver Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, Silver Lake's costs have crept up to about 14.50 an, an ounce, Australian dollars. They're selling gold at about 21.50. So they're making a very big margin there, but costs for all the gold producers have gone up in recent times mm-hmm. because of the rising Aussie dollar. There's also a lot of competition in the resources space at the moment because commodity prices are rallying and com- competition for different resources and, mm-hmm. and staff, etc. But we think the margins are very, very large. We prefer Australian gold producers. That way they, you know, they sell in US dollars and incur their costs in Aussie dollars. So if the Aussie dollar does come back during an inflationary period, they should be the ones to benefit from that. So we do like evolution a lot, spitting out a lot of free cash flow. Silver Lake's slightly higher risk, I suppose you could say, but then they're more leveraged to a rise in gold price. So if you were happy to take on that bit extra risk, you could get more bang for your buck. So I'm going to go a, a buy on this as well. Buy. So we've got a buy for Silver Lake resources. That, my friends, is going in the portfolio. Breville Group, it is presenting at the Macquarie Conference today, gave the presentation a read. It says at $1 billion in revenue, it still sees that it's got a long way to go, reinvesting to drive future growth. Um, It's going to continue to invest in marketing and R&D and infrastructure projects because it wants to continue to invest in the long-term strategy for this company. I recall speaking with one of you guys you know, at reporting season last time, because Breville Group was one of the few that looked to reinvest for growth rather than to pay out, even though things are going really, really well. Um, Breville Group, do you buy the story? Look, it's never one that I've, I've owned. I wish I had. It sort of always continues to, to make its way higher for, for good reasons. But I just struggle to get my head around how this fairly simple company, in many ways, selling a ubiquitous product in many ways as well um, can continue to do so well, but it's proved me wrong time and time again. Um, I struggle to, to buy it at these levels because I do have question marks about how much COVID might have pulled forward some of that demand for them because obviously everyone's sitting at home, why not upgrade your, your Jaffel maker or your toaster, <laughs> that sort of thing. So I want to see how it does cycle through this next period. Um, but the numbers look very, very good. The addressable market, according to Breville's $10 billion, they've shown themselves capable of expanding into different markets, the US and Europe. So there is a lot to like about it. I'm more of a hold at the moment rather than an out and out buy, but it's been a, a well-run company that's delivered on everything that they've said. Do you have an air fryer in your home, Nathan? <laughs> Doesn't everyone? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Actually, we le- we learn about the air fryer because of the kids eat so much fried food you got to try and get away from the oil <laughs> yeah. and, and that's why air fryer and it's quick yeah our the current is very quick. yeah it, and, it um, actually works we rebel talk- makes them and oh people rebel love makes, them rebel makes a lot of good stuff yeah. i mean yeah. they went from the coffee play during their lockdown to pizza making so they keep coming up with new products i think it's a great business great management track record is impeccable but i i, I struggle to see anyone getting surprised by retail stocks doing well yeah. If you're surprised by retail stocks when government is giving you free cash, well, you've got problems. You're not doing the right thing. So again, one of my main thing is you're looking for cycles that the other people don't know 
or they're not pricing in. This is a cycle that everyone knows and it's priced in. All the retail stocks are priced for very good performance. So you're not going to get a surprise factor. Is it expensive? Yes, it is. But should it be expensive? Yes, it is. But the reality is what's your return? It's got to keep executing to stay where it is. The multiples are high. They do have new regions they can move into, which is they're doing around Europe. Yeah, which, they're, which they're sort of pushing Exactly, to the which east. I think will be will do well in the long term. But you you're pricing in too much at this point in the cycle. I think it's a great business. It's one you have on the list. And then you come back every so often, as with all retail stocks, you'll have a pullback cycle where people think, oh, people aren't going to spend. That's when you buy these guys. But this is not one you buy right now because I think you'll probably lose money in the in the short to medium term. Um, so you, you keep it on the radar. It's actually a sell for me here. You keep it on the radar um, and you'll see a pullback when people get a bit more pessimistic, uh, especially, you know, their growth areas, potentially a lot more countries in Europe. And Europe is not doing well uh, in the new wave. So in that context, those things will be delayed. So I would say you've got time to buy this cheaper. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder where everybody is getting all this storage for all of these new products that Breville, that's that's the only reason I don't have an air fryer because seriously, where would I put it? And I don't want to look at it each and every day. Um, going by some of what you've said for Breville Group, um, the next one on our list for Kevin is Shaver Shop Group. So uh-huh. perhaps you've got a lot of the same line of thinking, but um, you know, the reality is, is that it's done really well through yeah. COVID. The reality is, is there's now less discounting happening. We heard that from uh, the Rebel Sports CEO the other day. Um, you know, could you be in this and just take advantage of the momentum for now? Like, I think they've done well in terms of establishing themselves as the one-stop shop for self-grooming kits or whatever. They've done very well during COVID. They were gloating about how well their omni-channel's doing and, and their online sales. But in an environment where people are locked down in Melbourne until very recently, you know, full lockdowns, couldn't even go to a hairdresser, you had to cut your own hair, I think, at most or a lot of the time there. A company like Shaver Shop is clearly going to benefit from that. Uh, and the question again, like Breville, is are they going to be able to sustain the rates of growth that they've had when COVID ceases to exist or, or we return more to a, a normalised environment? So for much of the same reasons as Breville, a lot of pulled forward demand. Um, I also struggle to see what their sustainable competitive advantage is, fairly low margin business. I'm happy to give this one actually a sell because I think it's not as good a quality business as Breville in terms of the way it's been run. And there's no harm in taking profits, right? That's if you've right. you've been and benefited from this, uh, this trend and the ride that these retailers have been on, do you think that people are too reticent to sell? Well, we sort of touched upon this uh, off air in that everyone's done fairly well in in recent times. The markets have been pretty buoyant. But the question is, if you sell out of something in the retail space, what do you replace it with? So there's not that many screaming options at the moment. The tech space is under immense pressure. You're getting revaluation in the high PE, high growth into the market with healthcare and, and things like that. So the banks have rallied hard. So people are reticent to go sit in cash. So for that reason, they're happy to hold on to what appear to be very good winners. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what drives the psychology of it, but that's just some of the some of the theories being put out there. And Nathan, I read your note uh, pretty much every day. Uh, and, and for quite some time, you've been talking about the fact that there has not been these double digit billion turnover days, dollar days in Australia. That really speaks to sort of a lack of what? Yeah, I mean, I was talking to Michael just before. 
it's interesting because for me with the data psychology is part of the whole process you have to understand how that plays out it's been i say for the last two months the dominant player has been the global trades so they come through so you'll see it uh, the market moves dramatically in the open and then moves again around lunchtime when the hong kong teams come into play and then it, there's not much of a volume at all so we we haven't actually had huge volumes because mm -hmm. of the the basic concept that most fund managers were holding stuff that's gone up and the problem for them is if they sell they when they go to the next uh, presentation at the end of the month they'll be holding stocks that are probably not doing as well so it's actually nice to have stocks that have gone shh and they can go, look, see, I bought it cheap. It's still up there. And so it's not in their interest to sell out of something unless they've got something that they really, really like. And mm -hmm. given that almost all parts of the market have gone expensive and kind of tells you where the market is, it's very hard to get that move. So most fund managers haven't done at all. All they've done over the last couple of years, and you can see this with uh, substantial holdings, they've just added to the existing holdings so that they can hold on to what they have. They're trying to support it as long as, it, and this is generally how you know we're close to the top of the market. So you're in this cycle where everyone knows the market is expensive. Everyone knows that yields are going up. And at some point, this is going to change around. They just don't know when to do it. Shaper Shop is one where I thought, oh, look, this is nothing special. This is an average business. And you know what, COVID came and smacked it. And I went, I expected that. What they did out of COVID showed me they are actually really good. Management has actually executed phenomenally well in a crap business. They've done really, really well. They've added new products and they've been able to diversify. So they've actually done a hell of a lot better than I thought. It's priced for that. I'm not saying that you would go out and buy it right now, but they deserve the recovery cycle they've done. They're actually trading what nearly double what they were pre-COVID, but they deserve that because they executed through a tough cycle. That's, you know, it's easy to perform when things are going good. It's tough to perform when you're getting smacked on the back of the head and you still got to keep your business going. And they did well under pressure. So all kudos to management. Um, I would keep an eye on this one. I, I like it. But yeah, it's, it's bloody tough. They're in a really, really tough sector. It just... You know they've done so well in that so well and not high ticket items yeah either. it's and but i actually because i am one of those people who had to buy haircuts <laughs> because of the kids and stuff and likely i mean luckily my son loves the short haircut so it's easy uh, <laughs> but what you find is when you're using these things they actually um you know break down over time yeah so your re re replacement cycle comes in so it is easy i know you can buy some in kmart you can buy it in big w and stuff like that but it's just easy to just go to the closest shaver shop and get it because you know they're going to have the variety. You can pick one and they always have something on sale, which is probably not in sale, but it's still, yeah, yeah, it looks yeah. like it's sale. It's a psychological game and you end up buying it. So I actually think it's a good play, uh, but it is one where, you know, it's pricing in as good as mm -hmm. it is. I'm just waiting. If the market craps itself and, you know, this is common with all retail stocks. If you look at all the retail stocks, the charts have done the same thing. They've run past the previous peak. So you're paying for a lot. So I'm just... I jot down the ones that I think the management are really good. So the next cycle, when these kids get smacked, these are the ones to buy. And Shaver Shop will be on my shopping list. So watch list, if you own it, is it a hold or is it a sell? It's as... a retail stock. It's a cyclical stock. Buy a different cyclical play. This is already priced in. So it's a sell. It's a sell. Zipco is next on your list and we will be picking up the conversation that, you know, you kind of alluded to tech coming under pressure. This one's for James. I will note as well that today in particular, there's a lot of 
a lot of chatter out there about Afterpay. It has its uh, best days come and gone. Short positions are increasing. Share price uh, had the stats earlier, but you know hasn't been this low for quite some time. And just as we are approaching 12:30 here in Sydney, it's shed a further five percent. So it appears as if there's a little bit of the gloss coming off this buy now pay later space. Zip has been in a downward trend as well. Zipco, by the way, is uh, the next company that we're discussing. Um, even though it's raised, you know, five. 400 million for further international expansion. So is Zipco, you know, falling victim to this lo- loss of luster on the tech space and BNPLs in general, or is it something specific to Zipco? Uh, I think just that general space, the momentum was with it for so long that have good updates, the share prices would rally and then it'll kind of feed on itself. You get a good sense that we're coming to the end of that boom cycle when they do release good updates um, and positive growth numbers and cap and capital note raisings, etc., to fund their expansion. Yet the market might rally for a, it might rally for a couple of days in the market, but then the heat comes out of it and it just falls away. Um, so I think the narrative is building against these sorts of companies: more competition, very expensive, need to continue to expand at, at rapid, rapid rates to maintain these levels of growth and they were just so expensive. So it just gives people a reason to rotate out of them or short them in in particular cases. Zip money um, with the acquisition of QuadPay was a great strategic play, gave them access to the US market, um, delivered some very good growth numbers there, but it's kind of not really even mattering at the moment. Um, And Zip money, in my opinion, is not as good a quality as Afterpay. They've done a tremendous job in establishing themselves, but the thing with Zip money is they have longer duration loans out to people, bigger ticket items, so they're more inherently risky. Uh, Their asset turnover is sort of uh, weaker than it is in Afterpay, but it is improving. Um, And compared to Afterpay, they're just not winning as many customers per day. So I think in a sort of space like this, which is an emerging space, the land grab is key, and they're going to struggle to ever establish themselves as the dominant player. Not that I want to be even in the dominant player, but I'm just saying they're struggling even within their own sector. Uh, not struggling, but struggling relative to the, the, the premium optimum providers in that space. So I think they're going to struggle long term and I think they're going to struggle short term just because the market preferences are shifting away from those sorts of ultra high PE growth type companies. At what point, though, does it become a buy because yeah. it's cheap? <laughs> relatively the problem is speaking. even at these prices and probably even half these prices, it's still expensive. Um, it is insane that a lot cheaper in terms of the multiples it trades on relative to Afterpay. But if it got down to, you know, the $4 level or $3.50 level, I'll probably have a look at it then, but that's still some yeah. way off. But it won't, it wouldn't take that much. You of are a, bearish because even UBS has a $6.75 price well, I mean, target it, on the company. The thing is, it wouldn't take much to set these companies back. And we saw that um, in the, the COVID crisis. Afterpay went from 80 bucks down to $9, maybe even seven dollars there but then everybody was kicking themselves for well, not that's buying right it so if we saw something like that would i buy it i would hope that i would but we'd have to wait and see but at these prices it's a, a no-go um it's look i'm leaning towards a sell on that one too uh after pay so yeah it's the fifth session of declines um short positions growing about 2.2 from 1.2 toward the end of april according to asec data so it's only about, well, a few dollars off its lowest point in 2021. So that sort of sets the scene for the whole buy now, pay later space. Um, but, you know, again, there there will be a winner out of this sector, even if you do see increasing regulation. 
It appears as if it's entrenched. Lots of merchants on board, customers, we're told, really love it. Um, so why wouldn't one of these companies, Zip or Afterpay, you know, again become a screaming buy if we see a continued sell-off in tech? Sure. Um, I mean, it's all, it's all about the price. You know, everything has a price. If it gets low enough, it becomes a buy. Um, I actually, I mean, I agree with a lot of things what it, uh, Michael said in the fundamentals uh, of the businesses, but I actually think Zip is a better quality than Afterpay. Um, Afterpay has the advantage of being the first mover, and that's been a huge, you know, you, you become the, uh, become the now uh, for the industry. So Afterpay had that huge advantage of going in first. But their growth is, is an accounting growth. All they're doing, because all of them, I mean, even the businesses with no operation in Australia, list in Australia, buy now, pay later. Why? Because we're the only country who pays these stupid multiples. You don't get this mm -hmm. anywhere else. Most of these fintechs who offer buy now, pay later actually already existed for years in US, years in UK. This massive Revolut and all those guys, huge, you know, Fine billion up. dollar businesses been around in UK and Europe for years. They do not get the multiple. In Australia, we've just jammed it up. It's, oh, like, our, it's like our fang proxy. Exactly. Really. It is our highest uh, high growth multiple stocks, right? So that's why it comes in. So it, if you look at it on the product cycle, it's doing, done exactly what happens. You get the institutional investors building up the share price, then the retail investors jam it up on 10 years of growth already priced in, and then it falls, and then you get a bit of a bounce back going, oh, this looks cheap, and then the reality sinks in and they come off. So I actually don't think Zip will go down too far, but I think it still goes down. I would say it's if I can pick it up below six bucks, I'm a buyer of Zip. I think it's got much better model. They do a lot more quality control. People who work in Zip are really motivated about working in Zip. I don't find the same thing in Afterpay. Um, and Afterpay for me, in a similar kind of dynamics. And look, they're not. Nobody's pricing this on profits. Analysts come up with made-up valuations. That's just not there <laughs> because profits don't come in for three, four, yeah, five yeah. years, right? So in reality, I think Afterpay for me on a logical valuation gets support around 40, 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. So it can fall a long way before it sees that. For me, zip around six bucks, below six bucks, it'll get attraction. Going all these talk about going and listing in US. I don't think they'll do that because people who are listed there do not have the multiple. What they're doing is they're using the multiple, the high multiple here, raise money, and then buy global guys who are on lower multiple to aggregate customers. How they do that afterwards, buying is easy and you can add numbers. Growth, I think, is challenge. And you've already seen the bigger guys come in, margins are declining. Yep. So it's going to get tougher. I'm not in this sector, but if I had to pick one out of the sector, I think Zip is better than... Okay, yours. but you're not a buyer. You're no. not a seller. So is this a hold for you? Uh, Zip is a sell for me. Sell? Sell for me now. But if it goes below six bucks, yeah. I start buying. Okay, so that's an interesting one. Um, Afterpay did present at that Macquarie conference yesterday. I had a chat with Ben Clark from TMS Capital after the fact. He listened in and thought, oh, it sounded a bit sales pitchy oh, yeah. uh, to me. Well, they're doing, and, a, they're doing a media article every day. Yeah. That tells you. With the fin. Uh, Appin is the next one on the list. This is coming from Mark and he asks, and this is another company presenting today, mm -hmm. is this a company in trouble? Am I right in my investigations that Amazon has technology now that really puts pressure on Appin's business fundamentals and future, or is it a bargain? Well, I will tell you what Appin itself said today in a nutshell, and uh, it's competition. So it's saying that you know, COVID is impacting it, major customers in terms of data privacy and antitrust concerns are taking things in-house. Uh, the AI product development is bringing these big major customers to be more independent from it. It did not mention guidance. It flagged that 
you know, that choppy customer behavior. And um, it didn't paint itself even a very good picture, I didn't think, today. Yeah. What do you think? The Appen's one that we held going back, you know, four or five years ago and did very well off it. Um, the problem with Appen is that it's just all moving against it at the moment. It got lumped together with the wax stocks as one yep. of those sort of high growth tech names. But the reality is Appen's not really that techy. It's a lot of people sitting in a room um, flagging that that's a red stop sign so they can go sell that data then to the automated vehicles market with whoever it may be. Um, so the problem is Appen was a very dominant player in that space, had all the big customers on their books. Um, but the problem is you start to put yourself in a position where if you're the only player, these companies start to push back. They don't want to pay those sorts of margins anymore for the data and they start to bring it in in-house or the competition emerges from within or whatever it may be. So from our perspective, it's a business that is facing a lot of headwinds. There's no clarity in terms of where this all ends. Um, so for that reason, it's got to be a sell and the momentum on the charts looks horrendous too. And I don't think that's going to subside. Yeah, share price is down by close to 17%. So 1230 on this Thursday afternoon in the wake of its disclosure to the ASX and that Macquarie conference. Um, is it a buy, hold, sell for you, Nathan? Yeah, so this one and Altium in uh, July last year, when the result came in, both of them were trading after the result at about three, three and a half standard deviation premium. Like we're talking probabilities that you just don't play against. We sold into that and we inevitably knew there would be downgrades coming. And this one, I think it's now, this one will be considered a pseudo fourth downgrade. And so, it's in a downgrade cycle and that's not your So you area don't, of you do not touch it till you get the first upgrade. And the model is under threat. Unlike Altium, where their model is still solid, it's just the macro is against them. In Appen, the model is under threat. So the reality is you just wait till things improve. And right now it's a fourth downgrade and there is no need to try and pick the bottom. And then you have the conversation about catching a falling knife. Yeah, and, and the reality is everyone wants to pick the thing that's fallen 50%, right? That is a dumb strategy because more than 70% of those falling knives tend to fall again and again and again. Yeah, I feel the same way. All right, so that is a sell from both guys in terms of Appin, that was for you, Mark. Let's get a bit of a summarize of uh, the first five stocks and uh, the stock of the day. So NAB, uh, when it comes to the National Australia Bank, Michael's comments reminded me of sort of Bowie and Queen uh, coming under pressure sort of on all fronts. <laughs> he says he would not buy it at all. NAB is his least favorite of the big four banks. And Nathan just says, yeah, the easy profits are gone. This is uh, not cheap either. So he would not be buying NAB, which was the stock of the day. Next on the list, Silver Lake Resources. This will be going in the portfolio. It's a buy from both of the guys. They like where gold sits in terms of the cycle. If you think that inflation is going to rise, which Nathan very much thinks that it is. He says that it's priced pretty well. Michael agrees. It's a bit more risky than getting into, say, a Northern Star or an Evolution Mining. But if you're comfortable with that risk, Michael says, buy it. Breville, it's a hold for Michael, a sell for Nathan. Um, Look, Michael just questions whether or not a lot of the demand has been brought forward through COVID. So he'd just like to sit back. He couldn't buy it at these levels. Nathan says it's a great business, but everybody knows that retail stocks have done well. So the good news is priced in. He would sell it. In fact, it's good as it's going to get for this cycle. Shaper Shaw, it's a sell for both of these guys. Nathan's got it on his watch list, though, because management is so good, but it's priced 
now for that good management through the COVID crisis. Now, Michael says that can it sustain these rates of growth? Probably not in his view. And also, I mean, we usually talk about moats when it comes to tech companies, but you know, how does it differentiate itself against the competition? He doesn't buy it. Zipco, it is a sell again. We've got a lot of sells happening today from both of our expert guests. I'll tell you when Nathan would buy it. That would be sub $6 because he still thinks this is the better of the big listed BNPLs here in Australia. Just not now. Uh, yeah, there is always a price for everything, but Michael is not as um, even bullish on Zip as Nathan is. He would maybe buy if it was sub $4, but he doesn't even know. He doesn't actually think that Zip is the best of the bunch in that space. Uh, competition is key. So is land grab. And he sees Afterpay probably doing more on that front. Final on the first five list. Again, a sell app in. It's a downgrade cycle for Nathan. Why would you try to catch a falling knife? Don't even touch it until you get the first upgrade. Michael agrees. So many headwinds, so much competition, no clarity. It's a sell from him. So as we saw with Silver Lake Resources, if both of our guests on the day say that they would buy it. So at the current price, we put it in the Osbiz portfolio. This portfolio has been running thanks to our partners at NABTRADE. Thanks, guys. Weekly, we are down 4%. Oh, sorry, 4 tenths of a percent. Jeez. On the month, up nearly 4%. And year to date, since July 1st, 2020, we're up by 29.6%. And both of these guys here have had an influence on that. So thank you very much, Nathan and Michael. Virgin Money Ooh. has been put in the portfolio. <laughs> Is that a, you know, like wow, that? Wow, that's a high risk play. Yeah, yeah. Really really and Star Farm. Star Farm, it's always out with them. It's, um, it's done well, Yeah, that's already in the place. Okay, well, now we we'll are get some running commentary on the Paul portfolio. Reliance Worldwide, Ooh. this one has been going really well. Yeah. It was talking this week again that it can pass on the rising cost of copper, for example, to its customers. I wonder where the breaking point for that is with copper hitting 10,000. It's going to be interesting how, because West Farmer said it as well, they're all trying not to raise prices, mm -hmm. but as, as Warren Buffett said, hey, Everyone's raising prices on me and I'm raising prices. Everyone's yeah. be okay with it. Yeah, so, yeah. Love to see. There's that inflation cycle you talk about, oh. Nathan. Um, Beach Energy, I wonder yeah. if this was pre the that big downgrade that yeah. came, uh, profit warning that came last week. Yeah. Hmm. We'll look into that. And Seven it's Group Holdings has been put in as well. Uh, if you would like to know the rest of the detail of that portfolio, you can go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Okay, let's get back to it, shall we? These guys have had a bit of a reset. Number six on the list for Matt, Somerset Group, and that is SNZ. This is a retirement village operator in New Zealand, just in case you're not aware. Um, its CEO recently said the wait list was up about 24% from just a year ago, pipeline of new builds to come, but the share price yeah. has uh, reflected a lot of that good news, in my humble opinion. What, what do you think, Michael? It's one of the largest sort of um, retirement village operators in New Zealand. Um, and it's in many ways a, just a property play. I know it's obviously aligned to the, to the elderly, but they simply just continue to roll out more and more villages. And then they basically look to meet the demand of that wait list. Um, and as long as there's that demand and as long as they're delivering their projects on time and on budget, there's no reason why they can't continue to roll up these valuations, not to mention valuations in New Zealand have been going through the roof for properties. So mm. they've had all those positive factors. Um, for me, it's 
again, a situation where a lot of these projects are well known about. Um, the demand is already there. So it's, in my mind, they could be operating at a bit of an optimal environment at the moment. It'll be hard to continue to maintain that momentum, but it's a very good quality company. They've been doing very well, um, but I wouldn't buy it. It's more of a hold for me. Okay. And Nathan, your view on Somerset and I guess whether or not you buy in at this point in the cycle. Yeah. I mean, you look at uh, the produce, well, the aged care players in Australia, yeah. uh, they've got regulatory problems. They've got Royal yeah. Commission stuff coming out. Um, the government doesn't have a clue what to do. They just give them more money to bury the, the issues. Yeah, but uh, this is so, more property. But that's yeah. that's the place, right? People prefer in that context, you can see New Zealand is so much cleaner. Um, and also New Zealand has a, you know, in a COVID space, that's a place to be. Mm -hmm. So I don't see demand going down. Well-managed business, haven't had any issues. You just go, they're going to be doing well. And so, but it's price for that. You're, you're not buying something that people don't know. It's an obvious thematic. It's probably one of the cleaner places in the world. So, so you'd hold it, not sell it. If you're, yeah, if you're holding it, just sit on it. If you're not, too late. Yeah. Forget about it. Too late. All right. And I don't know about the ju juxtaposition of uh, retirement homes and the next one on our list, which is Propel Funeral Partners. But there you go. PFP is the ticker code. This one is for Brent. It's got a strong presence in the Australian regional market. Pays a pretty good dividend. Nathan, but we know what's been happening in the, I mean, demographics is one thing, but we've actually seen, you know, a lower death rate, which has impacted these these funeral homes. Yeah, um, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one because it used to be a really good utility play. Yeah. And then uh, the whole thematic changed when the, everyone got greedy and started doing prepaid funerals. Yeah. And you started killing off your margins because when you pay in advance, you don't have the emotional... Uh, attachment to pay up for a big function you go for a cost effective solution and then that started to eat into that and then it's now it's really now an acquisition play you're buying up other smaller players and you raise money buy them on a lower multiple and then you bring it up so it's really an acquisition play real big growth story is going to struggle debt rates are obviously going to be lower now that everyone goes to the doctor for everything if you sneeze you go in uh, so it's you're going to have a lot better health standard in that context so Again, this is one where I think the industry has got dynamics that have changed on a lower growth. Mm -hmm. And I, don't, I think the outlook is a bit weak uh, for the good reason. People mm -hmm. are not going to die as much. But so in that context, you're not buying something that's cheap. Everyone knows that. It's done well for what it is. Mm -hmm. So if you held it, you've done well. Go to somewhere else where you're going to get better growth. So that's a sell. Yeah. Better growth elsewhere. And on the M&A, I mean, we talk about InvoCare a lot. It had that strategy oh, yeah. to buy up, you know, the smaller regional uh, funeral homes, I mean, could Propel Funeral Partners potentially be a target? Uh, I think it's possibly too big, maybe for Invercare. Um, but the industry is definitely consolidating and, and that's what you're seeing. I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit before they have to go after something as, as big as, as this one. Um, it's a funny one because the thematic you think makes sense, aging population, more people dying, this and that. But Invercare itself has never really done that well. Um, and Propel Funerals as well hasn't really done that well over a long period of time. I think in the short term, it might have a, a continued rally as we sort of progress through this COVID period. Obviously, COVID was a, a big downer for them in terms of number of flu diagnoses and people passing away from flu. Also, the fact that not everyone could attend funerals. You can only have sort of cap numbers there for a, a big chunk of last year, which meant that people weren't going over and above and doing all the, 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 the add-ons for the funeral that they that they once upon a time would have done mm -hmm. because there's no one there to experience it. So all that sort of stuff will start to come back and the margins will pick up again as people do those bolt-on 
additions to their funeral service. But from a longer term perspective, I don't see what's going to continue to propel the growth aside from acquisitions. And that's always fraught with, with danger and risk. It's not a bad business from a short term. Again, from a short term perspective, I think there's maybe a, a momentum recovery mm-hmm. trade in it. But beyond that sort of one, two, three month time frame, um, I struggle to see what's going so to propel it further. So is this a, bu- a trading buy? Or would oh, you... look, it's not really a trading okay, stock per so se. But like buy. in the short term, it could well go higher. Yeah, okay. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hold for now. Okay. Um, with a view to probably selling it eventually yeah. to rotate in something sorry, else. Sorry, I'm a stickler for the rules around yes, here. Sorry. I, know. I, li- I like <laughs> to cut to the chase clear. sometimes. Okay, stock number eight, Generation Development Group, D- GDG for Peter. I had to look it up. Uh, funds under management, though, on April 13th, uh, up by 40%. Uh, specializes in providing development capital to financial sector businesses. Who wants to take it? Yeah, um, this one. I thought they were involved in sort of investment bonds and stuff like that. Uh, they might also, they've recently acquired Lonsec and stuff. Yeah. They've got a few parts of their business. So Lonsec's a, a rating. securities rating yeah. house um, and they've recently taken a big chunk of that. So they're obviously looking to get in the good books with advisors because advisors obviously then are the ones who are ultimately recommending their products, which are investment bonds. So investment bonds have been around for forever, but they're coming into prominence at the moment because of some of the tax benefits that are associated with them. And effectively, it's kind of like an annuity where you put down a lump sum investment today, you receive an income on that investment and you can redeem it over a certain period of time. It becomes more favorable, I think, if you redeem it after 10 years mm-hmm. because there are certain tax benefits to that. Um, the return that you get on these types of products isn't fantastic, about four, four and a half percent. But there is a, a big market out there for this sort of thing, particularly in a low deposit rate environment. So yeah. they've been having a, a decent crack at it of late, but it's not for me the type of business that I would be investing in, in the financial space. I just think there are better alternatives elsewhere and more exciting growth parts to be in diversified financials. So that is a, a no. no. It's a it's a it's a sell. Okay. Better places that you can make money. Do you agree, Nathan? Oh yeah, um, look, it's, it's a play on yield. Uh, if you think there's yields are going up, there's these kind of areas will come back in play. The one to the one that everyone knows about is Challenger and they've had a, a downgrade recently on backward looking. I actually think Challenger's a buy. It's an acquired taste. Most people hate the model and they're not fans of it because mm-hmm. they can't work out the risk management. And that risk management struggled when yields got really low and that's why it went through a downgrade. But I think going forward, people are going to look at annuities and it's one of the few unique providers. So I think Challenger is a pretty interesting one. It's been beaten up. Um, I'm not a buyer of uh, GDG simply because it's priced for what it is. I think if you look at that kind of similar related sectors where you can pick a better bargain, um, look at the insurance sector. So we've been fans of IAG and QBE recently with the reflation trade. I'm going to call that the bonus buy. Is yeah. IAG I think and QBE IAG, buy? Yeah, both of them are buys. Both of them, recent up, update from QBE was Yesterday, and yeah, it had a few target price upgrades exactly. off the back so of that as I'd well. I'd expect QBE, it's a funny one. QBE, you always buy when it's below 10 bucks. When it's a single digit, you buy it because they always stuff it up to get down there and they always sort it out and then starts running. So it's a timing issue. So I think QBE goes higher. IAG, very rare you're going to get a top 50 stock at this kind of valuation. The macro is improving. 
I think IAG goes a lot further. I think you can make a lot of money over the next mm -hmm. couple of years. Okay, so it's a no, sorry? I'll add uh, Steadfast and Janice Henderson Ooh, in the diversified right, financials steadfast. while we go on the bonus buy. <laughs> It's almost they're... like you were prepared for that one. <laughs> Steadfast, Janice Henderson. Ste Steadfast is an insurance broker yeah. um, and premiums across the industry have been going higher. So that's been benefiting from that. I had an upgrade the other day. And Janice Henderson is a fund manager, diversified yeah. fund manager, very low multiples, has done it tough in recent years, but they're finally betting down an acquisition with, with Janice and, and the European markets are covering. So they're doing okay off the back of that as a bit of a value play. There you go, guys. You're welcome. And thank you, Michael and Nathan. All right, we're going to have to pick up the pace just a little bit. And I've just, I've been a bit distracted because we've just had a bit of breaking news that um, China really upping the ante when it comes to relations with Australia. China's top economic planner, the NDRC, is saying that uh, China will suspend indefinitely all activities under the China-Australia Strategic Economic Dialogue Mechanism now. Don't have time to go through exactly what that would mean. Obviously, lots of questions, but it is putting some pressure on the Australian dollar for obvious yeah, you'd, reasons. You want to be selling out of the banks very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, let's just check in on the banks uh, right now. Uh, we've got all of the big four banks in negative territory. NAB is down by 3.6%. ANZ off by 1.5%. They're the worst performing. All right. We'll bring you analysis of that late breaking story in the next hour one o'clock the pulse starts so let's continue on with our stock of uh being asked by dion aba is the ticker code oswise bank so we've had the pleasure of speaking with the ceo of oswise bank a couple of times on the channel it's it's a pretty good story it is and we're just bagging the banks to a certain degree to start the program. I wasn't, for the record. Um, <laughs> how do you think of some of these smaller banks and the opportunities there? Yeah, look, I, I think the smaller banks benefit from the fact that they're not a macro trade. So the global guys don't buy and sell it for the currency trade. Mm -hmm. So you have that uh, advantage. Uh, property prices, look, this in Australia, it's actually funny. You can look at it over the last, I don't know, 30, 40 years. We have this classic trade off and commodity prices go up we do okay. When commodity prices go weak, the Reserve Bank basically cuts rates to pump up property prices in the East. So you get the West and the East trade always going through. So we're in a cycle where commodity prices are recovered a bit, but it's still struggling. So the Reserve Bank only has one weapon, pump up, pump up property prices. So that's good. So these regional banks will do well. And then you look at the, so the whole play of how the farming industry is doing, agriculture industry is doing, mm -hmm. that should strengthen the, these guys do well. So I'd say they'll be continuing to do well. Most people hold these regional bank plays, smaller bank plays on for the yield trade. And I think that still holds. They're not cheap. You're not buying something that's cheap, but uh, the reality is they're actually going to keep doing okay. So I would be holding on. I'm not chasing any of the financials, especially banks, but if you have the regionals, I'm happy to hold. The mm -hmm. big guys, I wouldn't hold. Uh, this particular one has a big presence in Queensland. Mm -hmm. um, and if Queensland can be very, very cyclical. At the moment, the cycle's in its favour with agriculture, commodities doing very, very well. Um, obviously, the COVID situation has passed for them, so the amount of impairments potentially has fallen significantly. They seem to be winning market share with their broker network. So there are a lot to like about the company. The margins, the net interest margins are around 2%, which is way above NAB. Yeah, uh, payout so, ratio at close to 71%. So there, there's a lot to like about the business, but I would wouldn't buy it just because it is a, a smaller regional type bank. And when the cycle does turn against them, it can hurt significantly. Um, and I would just be looking to 
put my money elsewhere given the run-up that we've seen recently. That's a sell. That's a sell strength. into the strength. All right, so that is number nine on the list. Lucky last is for Josh. This is Elders. E-L-D is the ticker code. Um, is it in a sweet spot right now, Nathan? Oh, it's perfectly in the sweet spot, but it's a sell. Uh, because oh. everyone knows. Uh, they are, they've got everything going for them. Um, transaction will be good. They're due an upgrade. They will upgrade. I mean, I, I'll actually use the word will. They will upgrade. Everyone knows they're going to upgrade, but that's priced in for it. So it trades up to about $12, $13. Everyone sells into that. And if it gets down to probably around with a 10 uh, around it, then I would buy it because it's still going to do so okay. So again, it goes to your theory, buy them when they're bad, not when they're good. Exactly. So that is a sell to take your profits? Yeah. You sell now and buy back around $10. Disagree with him in some way, Michael? Um, it's look not a business that we hold or, or <laughs> like too much, um, but it, it's done a very good recovery job. This was a business that had considerable problems going back a few years, uh, but they've managed to not only recover, but go on to bigger and better things. It's a jack of all trades covering off from everything from selling fertilizer to farmers, or selling real estate, livestock and Regional and all that real estate's been good for it as well. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and the cycles has been very you good can put for it. Uh, you know, meat, weather, fertilizer, yeah. weather, everything you can think of has gone good. And yeah. For, yeah, and for that reason, I'll be selling at the peak <laughs> of the cycle. You can see it sort of rolling over there on the share price as well. And, yeah. and they can be pretty lumpy businesses. Lumpiness has been very good for them recently, but yeah, uh, yeah after, you know, it could easily turn. Just yeah. like if that. you want to buy something with similar kind of exposure, look at New Farm or Instec Pivot. Yeah. You get the fertilizer play, the seed play, that's you know, similar kind of customer base and the customers are doing well, they'll all be doing better. Great. Now, it was a very polite show, but uh, with two gentlemen <laughs> beside me and, you know, sometimes a little disagreement's good for the whole drama of television, but look, it is what it is. Thank you, guys. Um, let me just reiterate just quickly what we've come across. So Somerset Group for Matt, it's a hold. Uh, look, just peak performance already for Michael and, you know, well-managed for Nathan as well. But again, uh, it's already baked into the price. Propel Funeral Partners, a hold for Michael. Um, you know, it's just in an industry that's consolidating. He doesn't see a lot of upside. There are better places that he would look to make money. Nathan would sell. It's an acquisition play and it's not cheap. So take your profits, go elsewhere, but don't go into Generation Development Group. Neither of these guys would be buying this one, but it did inspire a bit of a bonus buy. So IAG and QBE, Nathan would be buying now. Michael came along to the party, prepared with that Steadfast, which is in the mortgage uh, insurance broking business. Uh, and also Janice Henderson, he says it's on pretty low multiples and a very well-run business. So there you go, ring the bell for those four bonus buys. You're welcome. Um, Oswide Bank, both of them say it's a pretty good business, well-run, lots to like about it, but for Michael, it's just too cyclical. He would sell it, Nathan would hold it. He doesn't like the big banks, as you well know. This one is more interesting in the regional space, but um, you know, again, it, it's it's hold on because it's done well, but perhaps not a lot of capital appreciation from here. Now, when it comes to elders, it is in a sweet spot. Nathan recognizes that everything is going in its way, and that is exactly why he would be selling right now, considering that this is a cyclical business. Michael agrees; it's at the top of the cycle. Things could change. It is a bit of a jack of all trade, but not enough to get him to buy. Josh, hope that doesn't disappoint you, but uh, you're looking for uh, information, not advice, of course, information only, but both of these guys would be selling elders. 
Well, that was fun. Thank yeah, you, as fun. always, Nathan Summersundrum, Deep Data Analytics, uh, Michael Wayne from Medallion. I do hope you get on your flight. I know your phone's been going it. off, which is what made me take a look down at the screen to see if something was breaking. Uh, listen, we'll get you across that news coming from China and the impact on the equity market. A bit of selling immediately after that regained some of its footing, but we're watching the Australian dollar closely. We do this every day from 12 to 1 p.m. If you'd like a stock featured, email us at the call osbiz.com.au. Stay with us, though. The Pulse is coming up next. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.